Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the youth vaping epidemic continues amid COVID-19, stress relief training from NAMI, Minnesota, and a fall harvest preview. But first... We absolutely can win Minnesota. And uh, I looked at the polls this morning. Uh, It's looking good, but we're not taking any vote for granted. They say we can't win Minnesota. I disagree. What about you? Visits this week from the likes of Dr. Jill Biden and Donald Trump Jr. show that Minnesota is a state in play, and pundits, politicians, and voters alike are watching Minnesota closely ahead of the presidential election. Many are speculating that the state could turn red for the first time since Richard Nixon was running for president in 1972. I recently spoke with Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear about how things are shaking out with about two months to go until Election Day. Well, I think it's a 50-50 possibility that uh, Republicans carry Minnesota for the first time since 1972. The reason is that greater Minnesota has become uh, much more Republican uh, in the Trump era. And uh, there are a lot of non-Hispanic whites without a college degree in Minnesota, that's a majority of the population age 25 or older. And a lot of those people are moving to Trump, and in many ways that demographic group is Trump's base. So tell me, uh, how does that jibe with what we're seeing in the metro area, which traditionally has been pretty progressive, uh, very much uh, liberal Democrat voters? Is that changing as well? Right. Uh, Well, Minneapolis and St. Paul are becoming even bluer. They're about as blue as they can be. That is, is about as democratic as they can be. A number of suburbs that have become more democratic, uh, Eden Prairie, um, uh, Burnsville, uh, St. Louis Park, uh, Edina, uh, but that's counterbalanced by what's been happening in greater Minnesota. So in order to see uh, the red side or the blue side make gains here over the course of the next couple months, what do you think each side needs to do? Well, a lot of it's all about resources. You see, uh, Donald Trump lost Minnesota by 1.6%, despite having only one staff person in the state and not visiting the state in the autumn. Uh, And this time, he's got 50 staff people on the ground in the state and an advertising budget of $14 million. Uh, So, you know, that does, I think, boost his chances. And also, we've had folks uh, on the side, uh, on the Democratic side, saying, you know, uh, send Joe out, <laughs> put him, put him out in those areas, Joe Biden, that is, in those areas where uh, things are kind of on the fence right now. Uh, how significant or important is it to get Joe out there? Well, I think if Joe Biden does do a campaign stop in Minnesota, that's very strong evidence that the state's in play and it could go either way. Uh, Democrats are calling for him to come to Minnesota, which also suggests that Minnesota is a swing state now. And as far as how that trickles down to local politics, obviously we've got a divided legislature, Democratic governor. Uh, How does national politics kind of relate with local politics in terms of how Minnesotans are voting? 
Well, the Democrats had a very good year in 2018. Uh, there was really a blue wave in Minnesota, as there was nationally. Uh, and what we've seen, I think, in Minnesota elections, including state legislative elections, is that um, uh, often now state election results, what I mean by that are elections for the state legislature uh, and state offices, often follow national trends. Uh, there's a real correlation between whether the Republicans carry the state house and how well a Republican presidential candidate does. If a Republican presidential candidate comes within four points of the Democrats statewide in a presidential election year, uh, since 2000, Republicans have gained the state house. And so, uh, Clearly, the state Republican Party is hoping Trump can be competitive and they can recapture the House that way. Uh, Professor, one of the key issues that people have been talking about, particularly here in Minneapolis, has been uh, the the rioting, the looting, some of the racial injustice and policing issues that have been happening here. Um, Democrats and Republicans both seem to be trying to to play the situation in a way for political gain, but who do you think it benefits the most as it stands right now? Well, right now I think the riots uh, really fuel a lot of support for uh, Republicans. I was speaking to uh, recently the head of a uh, rural chamber of commerce association in northwestern Minnesota, and I asked him, why is there so much Trump enthusiasm up there? And he said, It's because of what happened in Minneapolis. So I do think you're getting a reaction to the riots that helps Trump in greater Minnesota. And we've recently seen in the last few days uh, several Democratic governors from kind of the the North Country, the northern area of Minnesota, coming out in support of Trump. Uh, What do you expect to see? Do you expect to see that balanced in some way? Well, I think what has to happen is that uh, the Biden campaign needs to devote more resources and candidate time to Minnesota in order to hold the state. And that is not something I think they contemplated having to do a few months ago. But I think it's something they need to consider now. Obviously, we're getting closer to Election Day, and there's uh, potentially theoretically going to be some debates coming up between President Trump and uh, Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, how much of a difference does that make? Do you think people have mostly made up their minds already? Well, uh, a lot of people have made up their minds, but uh, it's quite possible that events in the debate can really uh, shake things up. And so we really have to wait and see what happens in the debates. Potentially, they could change the direction of the race, either in a more Biden direction or Trump direction. Thank you to my guest, Carleton College political science professor Stephen Shear. Of course, the country will be watching Minnesota's Senate and key House races as well. We'll have all the latest as it develops. More Minnesota Matters after this. Quitting smoking or vaping can be difficult, and it can be even harder during times like these when stress is often higher. Finding healthy ways to manage that stress without nicotine is important. For Minnesota residents who are ready to quit smoking, vaping, or using smokeless tobacco, Quit Partner is ready to help. Through a family of free programs, Quit Partner offers free support like one-on-one coaching, emails and texts, educational materials, and Quit medications like patches, gum, and lozenges delivered by mail. In fact, a mix of Quit coaching and Quit medications can help double a person's chances of quitting. No matter what support a person would like to try through Quit Partner, it's always judgment-free. 
And now that Minnesota has raised the legal sales age for tobacco to 21, residents may be looking for quitting resources now more than ever. To learn more, visit quitpartnermn.com or call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The American Lung Association has launched a robust plan for Minnesota students, parents, and schools to put an end to youth vaping. Tasha Radel had a chance to catch up with Pat McCone, Senior Director of the American Lung Association here in Minnesota. wanted to visit with you a little bit. Obviously, uh, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, but as kids head back to school, I know the American Lung Association is really coming forward again to remind us of another, I guess, epidemic that we've been in for quite some time, and that's youth vaping. I know you folks are going to be uh, launching a pretty comprehensive uh, plan to address address this as kids go back to school. What can you tell me, Pat? Sure, and thank you. Well, uh, the epidemic of vaping has not gone away and actually is uh, is an important reminder as as we all are thinking about health and safety and our students we have um three three approaches to this um one is parent awareness and it is a campaign called get your head out of the cloud i think parents that thought mistakenly thought well my kid will never use tobacco or nicotine uh, these new devices are appealing to a lot of kids that would have never thought of smoking. So we really want to raise that awareness. And for in some cases, as we know, parents have become the school setting, um, at least for a while, uh, until we we all get back to the to the classroom. And then the second one is uh, initiative for schools uh, to bring them language about a, a comprehensive policy. An alternative to suspending students. We definitely don't want unintended consequences from from um, vaping. We want it to be a learning experience for them, and also opportunities for um, addressing quitting vaping. And the Lung Association has a program called Not on Tobacco. And also in Minnesota, the Minnesota Department of Health Quit Line offers a program for youth called My Life, My Quit. And finally, last but not least, is we're actually working on advocacy and research. And advocacy has to do about really having a a community that supports healthy decisions, both for adults and youth, and how and where we sell these products, and especially regulating access to these flavored products that are so appealing to kids. And, and research on vaping, um, you know, there we know from the CDC that there is a risk if you get COVID and you are a person that vapes, you have higher chances for complications. And, you know, we talked a little bit about that we're still in this youth vaping uh, epidemic. Have the numbers, I guess, held pretty steady uh, when we look at different studies of, of kids who are vaping? Well, the numbers have uh, the numbers have risen substantially between 2016 and 2019, and the latest data we have is from 2019 right now. But eighth grade youth jumped almost doubled their use of vaping products between those three short years. Ninth grade had a 75% increase, and eleventh grade had over a 50% increase in Minnesota. That's Minnesota. Um, that eighth grade number is very concerning, that it went up 95% from 2016 to 2019. 
So um, we don't have new data yet. <laughs> Collecting data in the times of COVID at the school setting are challenging, but we're definitely keeping our eye on it and really looking at prevention and early intervention. And Pat, you know, I also wanted to ask this, you know, with COVID-19 and going back to school, I mean, it's just a unique uh, setting for not only students, but families. Is there fears within the Lung um, Association that these numbers could rise due to different stressors and things like that? Oh, you mean using the devices as something to address the stress in your life? <laughs> um, well, we know, you know, we know that um, that that's often said that I smoke or I use a device because it helps me relax. And I want to be really clear with that. It does help people relax because nicotine is an addictive substance. And when you're in withdrawal from a drug and then you get the drug, it is a, relaxa a relaxing effect. So, you know, I've got to have it, I've got to have it, and then I get it, and they get that relaxing. On top of that, for many people, uh, a, t a tobacco reward is a break. It's, uh, you know, talking with friends. It's stepping away from the work that you're doing. It's some time out. Sometimes it involves deep breathing. All those things that can be done without an addictive drug. You know, we can still uh, talk to friends at a responsible, socially distanced uh, way, and we can still deep breathe. We can still take a walk. We can still do all those things without adding an addictive drug to that. All right, and I also wanted to talk to you, too, um, a little bit. These devices and the use of these uh, different e-juices and uh, devices, we're seeing that it's causing severe lung damage. Is that fair to say? It's fair to say, yes. Uh, it wasn't long ago, within the last month, the Department of Health uh, notified again that there have been cases of of Evali, the the you know, what we heard last fall, I think it seems like decades ago, but the severe lung trauma that lungs that we were experiencing in our state with young people vaping involving some um, chemicals that were, um, you know, the CDC was working to identify them. It looks very similar when you present at the ER to COVID symptoms. Um, so, yes, we are still on top of that and still watching that very closely. And um, you know, raising that alarm that um, this could be a vaping incident and and we need to look down that path too. For more information about the Lung Association's work to end youth vaping, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota arm of a national mental illness support network is trying to provide free stress and mental support in the midst of the ongoing pandemic. Reporter J.W. Cox discovered the training is aimed at those caring for seniors but could benefit everyone. Scott, NAMI Minnesota's Kay King says at the outset they geared the 20-minute training video to elder care workers for a very specific reason. In Minnesota, um, most of the deaths that have occurred um, in our state have been um, deaths that have been with older adults and particularly in care facilities. And we really think that the folks that are providing that care directly are really heroes. And we wanted um, to be able to not only recognize that, but also to provide perhaps some skills and strategies for self-care. It's really um, difficult um, to work in a facility where family 
um, cannot, other than perhaps outside, see their loved ones. And by the nature of the age in those facilities, um, life expectancy, you know, in Minnesota is 82, um, you're going to have deaths, but to not have families be able to be with people at end of life, that means that falls on caregivers. So a great deal of stress there. People are concerned that they might bring illnesses home to their families. They're afraid perhaps that they might bring illnesses to their workplace and great deal of stress financially. They may have had another member of their family be furloughed or um, be laid off. And, and when you work in healthcare, um, especially in the direct service roles and dietary and maintenance and certified nursing assistants, you don't earn a lot of money. So a great deal of stress on essential workers, particularly in healthcare. Kay, what are some of the biggest lessons that you hope people can take away from this training? Well, you know, stress in general can cause burnout. And when you're under a great deal of stress for sustained periods of time, and I would think COVID-19 falls under that, we're in a six-month period already, um, you know, stress hormones are secreted when you're under stress, and those have um, definitely ramifications to your physical health. So burnout already was occurring in health fields, you know, even before COVID-19. And we're just hoping that people will get a chance to just do something as simple as breathe. So there's a couple of breathing exercises that we talk about um, in the training. We also want people to move. Um, You know, exercise sounds like something you have to schedule or something that's formalized or something that's not desirable. We just want people to move. So there's, you know, a general um, couple of comments about moving. Could be having the music cranked as you clean. It could be um, something as simple as just walking out the door. Um, We also want people to have emotional connection. They may not be able to have physical connection. You know, you stay six feet apart and you have a mask, but we want people to have emotional connection. People just do better when you're under stress, when you have connection to family, to friends, to neighbors, to people in your faith community, people in your cultural community. And we also want people to do the best they can to eat well. When you're tired, it's hard to make meals, but... You know, we tend to eat better when we do prepare our own food and just to try to make time for eating and also try to eat, you know, the best you can, as healthy as you can. Will there be aspects of this training that anyone, even those not working in elder care, can take away and use in their daily lives? Yeah, very much so. Just know that um, these are stressful times for everyone and isolation um, actually is difficult And if you already, you know, manage a mental health issue, you might be a person that actually has more resiliency already in place. Um, I always say that during crises like this, talk to someone that you know that lives with a mental illness because they understand isolation. They understand um, not feeling well. They understand, you know, having to reach out to get help and get resources. So a good resource for just the general public is you know, talk to a loved one you know that manages an illness because they've got a lot to share and certainly can empathize. If there's someone who hears this and is feeling signs of mental illness, what else can they do above and beyond the video to address what they might be feeling? You know, the video is really just for stress and caregiving and good mental health. But if someone is in a crisis, we always want to be sure that they know about um, crisis numbers. And so I want to make sure that people know that in every county, there's 87 in Minnesota, there is a mental health crisis number, and there's one number for the whole state. It's star star 274747. More information available at namimn.org. That's N-A-M-I-M-N.org. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. A fall harvest preview up next when Minnesota Matters returns.
Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Harvest season is near for Minnesota corn and soybean farmers. And as Mark Dorenkamp reports, weather will play a prominent role in determining when it starts and ends. Technically, harvest has been ongoing across the state for farmers of small grain, sweet corn, dry beans, and corn chop for silage. But for soybeans and grain corn, most growers are waiting for the crop to fully mature and dry down. Brennan Toquam, a corn and soybean farmer from Blooming Prairie in southeastern Minnesota, says he has circled September 20th on the calendar to begin harvest. As far as harvest goes, I'm getting a little nervous. We're kind of entering a rainy pattern here. And as the uh, you don't get as much heat, you know, the calendar turns to September, you don't get as much heat, the days start getting shorter. So when you're starting to get rains like this, you don't dry out. It's kind of too late for it to do much uh, benefit for the crops. So you just hope that uh, you're not dealing like we did last year when we're trying to pick corn and soybeans. Toquam says hail from last weekend's storm did damage some of his crops, but overall the growing season has been really good. We've picked up rains when we've needed them, and we've picked up, uh, you know, we avoided that uh, big derecho or uh, big storm uh, that swept across Iowa. You know, when you think about it, that really wasn't that far from, from where we were, and we, we didn't pick up much rain or any wind from that. So, no, it's been a... Sort of pretty good growing season. Uh, a few areas that, uh, few areas that the dry spots that, that you usually see dryness on, uh, um, they got, it, it started to look pretty ugly out there, but, uh, you know, those are small isolated pockets, at least around. Uh, but yeah, you don't have to go very far. I was out, uh, I took a vacation out west. Um, and yeah, you do not have to get very far west of, uh, I-35 on I, on I-90. To, to see some some kind of tough-looking crops when I was out there probably oh, two, three weeks ago. West-central Minnesota farmer Kirby Hetfer expects combines to be rolling in his area fairly soon. Yeah, up here it's, it's probably going to be uh, three weeks, uh, three weeks yet. That being said, there are some that are starting to, starting to turn a little bit, so there, there might be some isolated cases where beans are taken out a little bit earlier, but... Uh, you know, like like I said, we're probably uh, probably three weeks roughly from uh, from being in the in the full full harvest mode of the soybeans. Would you tack on another two to three weeks on top of that for uh, corn for grain harvest beginning? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would, Mark. Uh, you know, with these uh, most recent rainfalls, it's uh, it's sure helping this crop finish off. Obviously, the the soybean development uh, has benefited for 
in the areas that got rain uh, from from that late uh, late summer rainfall, and that's also going to help uh, finish filling out uh, filling out the ears on the corn as well. Hetver grows corn and soybeans near DeGraff. Moving to northwestern Minnesota, Brian Klebundy of Monoman reported soybeans starting to turn color at the end of August. It's going to be end of September, I mean, for the most part. Maybe, you know, three weeks for the earliest stuff um, that's starting to turn probably. And then uh, and then from there, uh, corn, it'll be, it's you know, it's, it's progressed nicely. But, I mean, it's a long ways from harvest, obviously, um, you know, and, you know, middle October, whatever. Not, nothing for the row crop even close to being harvesting. Dry beans, you go south of here, long, uh, long prairie area. Um, they're getting into uh, cutting some dry beans now, so that's about right on time. What are your yield expectations for corn and soybeans? <laughs> You're not going to pin me down on that in a million years. It looks like it's a, a above average crop for for most people. And in our in our area, does that mean? 45 to 50 bushel soybeans, probably, you know, and 160, 75, 80 bushel corn, you know. It's tough to average 200 around here. It's just too far north, but it does happen. Um, you know, test away. There's too many factors yet for our crops yet to to really pinpoint that down, but it does look above average and, you know, not, not world record above average, just it looks nice. Klebundi is vice president of the Minnesota Farmers Union. I also recently caught up with the vice president of Minnesota Farm Bureau, Dan Glessing, who farms near Waverly. We've been fairly dry now in the last week. We've had three and a half inches. So I'm thinking whatever damage has been done is done. Um, But it never hurts to make sure those kernels can fill out as nicely as they can with adequate moisture. And it'll be seen whether we've had enough moisture or, or we were a little dry. I mean, we've been dry. But that's been a refreshing change from the last few years. And I think the crop will be pretty good, even with being a tick on the dry side. And University of Minnesota Extension crops educator Brad Carlson says, despite much better growing conditions than the past two years, it wouldn't take much for moisture to cause problems at harvest for a third year in a row. Right now, things tend to be fairly ideal. Uh, There's been places around the state that have actually been fairly dry. Uh, Then there's other parts of the state that are bumping in around uh, field capacity. Where I live in Waseca County, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it wet, but uh, we certainly have no moisture deficit, and and, uh, frankly, um, we don't have a lot of capacity to absorb more water in the soil profile, maybe a little bit. But then again, uh, when the crop matures, it's done using water. And then, of course, as it gets cooler and the days get shorter, the evaporation loss is going to be less also. So, uh, you know, we could be sensitive to actually uh, saturating or hypersaturating the soil to where we've got ponding uh, and so forth. And so that is, of course, something to keep an eye on. The latest USDA estimates project a corn crop in Minnesota of more than 1.5 billion bushels on what would be a record yield of 197 bushels per acre. Soybeans are seen at nearly 374 million bushels on an average yield of 51. Scott, back to you. Thank you, Mark. Again, that's Brownfield's Mark Doran Camp. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.